Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi everybody and welcome to Out of the Blue, Woman Jika. And we will start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. And we will pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. And we recognize that this land was never ceded. On today's show, we are interviewing a marine biologist named Holly Richmond, who's dialed in from the Gold Coast, and she's going to be chatting to us today about Kill the Shark Nets. We'll be back very soon with today's show. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts, and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. We know you want one of those (laughs) T-shirts. Welcome back. You are tuned to 855 AM 3CR Community Radio or you're listening online, www.3cr.org.au and our show at a forward slash Radio Blue. On today's show, we have got a special interview with Philippe Costo. But first, we're talking to Holly Richmond from Kill the Shark Nets, an organisation about removing shark nets from our waters. Welcome to the show, Holly. Hi, thank you. That's all right. So Holly's also a marine biologist and a conservation marine conservationist um, and has yeah recently founded the Kill the Shark Nets organisation. Um, Holly, can you tell us a bit about this organisation that you founded? Yeah, t- so uh, I started Kill the Shark Nets uh, about a year ago and we basically uh, aim to educate the public about the realism of shark nets, uh, particularly on the Gold Coast. So we are uh, educating people about the ongoing uh, entanglements of marine animals and protected species in these shark nets uh, that are actually resulting in death and severe injury. And we believe that uh, there are different alternatives to shark mitigation programs to keep people safe and to keep the environment safe. Tell us. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. You go. Okay, I was just going to say for our listeners um, who aren't familiar with shark nets because we don't have them in Melbourne or, or around Victorian waters. Um, can you just tell us a bit about what they are and um, how they how they work? Absolutely. So in Queensland, uh, we have shark nets uh, ranging from the Gold Coast uh, to around Mackay. And originally, so shark nets were first installed in 1962 and they ranged from Cairns all the way down to the Gold Coast along the coastline. And these nets are situated about 500 metres offshore uh, parallel to uh, the coastline. And there are also drumlines, which are a large baited hook aimed to capture and to kill sharks, right? So shark nets 
uh, very uh, non-selective. That's the word. So shark nets are yep. very non-selective. So basically, they capture anything in its path. So shark nets are about 186 meters long and approximately six meters deep. Now they have a mesh size of 50 centimeters. So that's quite a big hole, aiming to capture uh, large. Uh, animals. So aiming to capture sharks, however, dolphins, turtles, rays and whales are consistently becoming trapped in these nets. Wow. And what's what do you reckon the ratio of like a shark being caught versus all of these other off-target species in the shark nets? The intention of the shark nets, it is divided into target and non-target species. So mm-hmm. you have your tar- target sharks uh, such as your great hammerhead, your tiger shark, bull shark, white shark, uh, dusky shark, bronze whaler sharks, all of these quite large sharks, uh, even though many of them have not actually uh, caused an attack on people. So the three potentially dangerous shark species are your tigers, whites and bulls. And uh, basically throughout the coastline of Queensland, they were able to remove the nets up north due to heavy bycatch of marine animals and dugongs and things like that. However, down south in the Sunshine Coast and on the Gold Coast, the shark nets have still remained, uh, being 11 at each region. Mm-hmm. And this is primarily because the bull shark becomes entangled in these nets more so than the tigers and the uh, white sharks. So. There are other species that do become entangled in these nets. Um, however, the ratio is more towards the bycatch. So you generally get more bycatch in the nets rather than target shark species uh, because you've got rays and dolphins and things that don't generally go for uh, shark flesh that is baited on a drumline. So your white sharks and your tiger sharks are more likely to become hooked on drumlines rather than in shark nets. And what happens to um, anything that gets caught in a target or off-target species? Um, like, are they patrolled or, you know, are people checking them and how often? Yeah, yeah. So we have uh, on the Gold Coast and uh, every region, we have there is a private contractor mm-hmm. and their job is to go out every second day. However, this doesn't usually happen due to weather conditions or other um, things that may make them not be able to come out uh so generally i have noticed on the gold coast it's about two to three days and so they go out and release any bycatch out of the nets that aren't a target species and if there were if they were to find uh for example a a tiger shark on a drum line uh that was still alive their job is to euthanize it and they use the word euthanize however uh they are basically putting a knife through the head uh, yeah or shooting it with a shotgun and regardless of its size so they say typically over two meters is a potentially dangerous shark species however even a juvenile is still being euthanized um and as well if you had a pregnant female tiger shark they would euthanize the mum and cut her open, count the pups, and euthanize the pups. So they're really trying to decrease the amount of 
potentially dangerous shark species in the job area. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. I find that really so intense. shocking. Like I'm sitting here with my mouth open, like yeah, just <laughs> absolutely crazy. And you said yeah. that they um, did. You say that they go out and check those nets and lines like once every few days. Yeah, so they'll go out uh, every two days or so and check them. So they'll remove any bycatch if they have found an animal that is already deceased, which is often mostly the case because a lot of uh, animals like sharks, they need to be able to move to get oxygen through their gills in order to breathe. So uh, these animals are often always found dead if it's a shark in a net. Uh, whether it be a little uh, scalloped hammerhead, which are actually um, quite endangered and vulnerable, and things like your spinner sharks and other sharks like that are often always dead. However, um, yeah, not to ray- mention not to mention the air breathing animals like dolphins and sea turtles. Mm. Oh, absolutely, they have much less of a chance of surviving. So, uh, when an animal does become entangled in the net it does stress out and it doesn't understand exactly what is happening. Mm. So it's moving its entire body and it's actually becoming tighter and tighter and resulting in death. So majority of uh, dolphins caught in nets are actually deceased because they are drowning. And uh, uh, turtles are very similar, uh, the same as well. I can't so even imagine how distressing that would be at all. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, they have just as much of a fear as drowning as we do. So they go through that whole same emotional journey of becoming entrapped in something and you know even if a like a turtle is alive and able to breathe from the surface it's going to have to sit there for two days vulnerable to predators Mm. such as tiger sharks that love eating on turtles and yeah so it is very because that's that's another issue isn't it because because of all of these uh, potential prey animals i think you mentioned it before because of all these potential prey animals getting stuck in these nets it might actually attract sharks to the place where the food is and the people are swimming as well so yeah yeah, it's kind of a death trap isn't it yeah absolutely i've heard uh many records multiple times of uh sharks that uh including hammerheads that feed on rays So if there's a ray caught in the net, usually the hammerhead feeds on it, gets it caught in the net as well. And then when they remove the animal, you can see part of the ray still in the shark's mouth. And I've heard situations where dolphins have been completely, um, you know, eaten in half because of sharks. A dolphin had been caught and sharks had been uh, in the area chasing it and got caught and then they all got caught. And also... uh, with drum lines, there's been multiple cases of when, for example, a tiger shark is caught, another species will come around and actually feed on that. So that's like an even bigger piece of bait hanging 500 metres offshore, right? So, uh, but there are instances, so if a white shark gets caught on a drum line, they release this uh, hormone chemical into the water that deters other sharks of that species. Uh, to alert it that there's danger in this area to stay away. Mm, Uh, But interspecies, it it actually attracts because that's something that they can potentially feed on. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So that works in the favour of the great whites, but not everyone else around. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Holly, you also mentioned um, drum lines as well as a management technique. Um, I say that in inverted commas. Um, Can you tell us a bit about the drum lines as well? 
that which yeah. complement, I guess, for want of a better yeah. word. So drum lions are, like I said before, primarily catch your whites and tigers and bulls about 50% of the time and 50% of the time uh, in nets. And now these statistics that I have looked at are just on the Gold Coast, so I'm not 100% sure if it continues to the, southern, uh, to the Sunshine Coast or not. Uh, so drumlines have significantly less bycatch. So the only bycatch that they really catch are loggerhead sea turtles. And the problem with them is that they don't actually learn. So they'll keep coming back multiple times to try and feed on mullet because they are carnivores. So they'll feed on, yeah, so things like mullet that are hooked on the drumlines. And they're often found alive, the sea turtles. And you get the very rare occasional dolphin that does get caught, which is also found alive. So if these animals were to be caught in a net, they would be, you know, they would have a high chance of actually dying or drowning in these nets and drumlines. So from the Kill the Shark Nets point of view, I believe that in order to really create a change, I think that we need to implement more drumlines and remove shark nets because first of all they have the highest bycatch they are catching whales and dolphins and all these uh like vulnerable and protected species when the drum lines aren't catching anywhere near as much as what the shark nets are so the drum lines are it's pretty much alternating down the coastline so you have maybe four drum lines and then a net another three and then a net another two and net another four like it all um varies but it's always alternating down the beach because the shark nets are only situated at really popular beaches and then the not so popular beaches have the drum lines and uh, there are theories that the fresh bait that is hanging off these drum lines do attract the sharks to the area uh, however they say well there hasn't been really uh, an attack or fatality um, at these areas however there has been uh, shark incident on um, netted beaches. So, and is that because they go through the net or under it, maybe? Yeah, or how, so they yeah. do get in. So basically, the nets are failing in their job, or how does that work? Uh, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. So, uh, for people that don't know, so shark nets are six meters deep and only two hundred meters long, and that's in. A very and having eleven of these about one uh, two hundred meter long nets, that is not covering hardly any coastline when you think about it, especially to a marine animal that lives in the ocean. This is only a few meters to them. So uh, sharks can swim under and around the nets, and majority of the time, animals caught in the nets are actually facing outwards, so they're actually leaving the area um, and getting caught on their way mm. out. So shark nets. And drum lines, they're not there to protect people or to block the sharks out or to deter sharks. They're there to capture and to kill, to remove the amount of sharks in that area. And from an uh, ecological point of view, that is a really damaging impact to have on our local environment, especially for these species like tiger sharks and whites that are migrating species you're not just killing a shark from the Gold Coast because this shark can adventure uh, all north and south of the coastline and everything. So you're impacting uh, quite a big area, not just 
removing sharks from the Gold Coast. Yeah. With um, species that are caught alive, what happens to those? So if a contractor goes out, finds something and it's not dead, great, but then what happens? Yeah, when it's not a shark, you mean? Yeah, when it's not a shark, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, if it's lucky to be alive, so generally they will be pretty cut up and they will have, depending if it's freshly caught, usually it's not really that fresh. It's been there overnight or something. And uh, they usually have, because they're consistently fighting their way, trying to get out of the net continuously, they're developing really deep markings from the net. So the net is cutting into their flesh a lot of the time and they lose a lot of their colour. So these animals are actually in significant trauma, is in close to death trauma. And uh, a lot of the times the rays are, you know, half dead, but, you know, can still kind of swim, but are very, very ill and weak. And so when the contractor comes out and releases them, Nobody gets in the water. They just lift up the net so the animal is out of their comfort zone. They're out of the environment and they cut the net to release it. So they try and do as minimal cuts as possible uh, and they just drop it back into the water and hopefully it doesn't swim back into the net. So um, all Mm. the witnessing that I have seen is that they don't actually stop and wait to see if it, you know, went away or anything. Um, So they just plop it back down into the water. Um, If it's a turtle, because it's quite heavy, they just lift it up by the net so the body weight is dragging and they just cut at it uh, and release it that way as well. So if there is a... Or if there's an animal that is severely injured, uh, where there's like an amputation about to happen with the cutting of the net, they are required to call rehabilitation places such as SeaWorld or... Uh, the place in Ballina, so they are required to um, actually help that animal. However, this would only be for protected species, so only really a dolphin or a turtle uh, or a whale or something like that. Or not that you can really put a whale (laughs) into rehab, but um, yeah, so uh, if it's something like a ray that is injured, they just let it go. Um, I'm pretty sure they do have permission to euthanize it if it is quite severely ill uh, but if they do find an animal that is deceased they are required to drive five kilometers offshore and dispose of the body so dumping the body uh, whether it be weighted down or whether they cut open uh, like the stomach to release all the gas so it sinks mm-hmm. so they do that with all the tiger sharks and all the dead animals that they do they just um, cut them and drop them offshore Wow. Uh, 500 kilometres outside the Gold Coast. Jobs yeah. you don't want. Yeah, wow. it's a very interesting job to yeah. do. So, Holly, thank you so much for your time. Um, if people want more information about Kill the Shark Nets, do you have a website or a Facebook page or um, some way people can get in contact with you and find out more information? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, social media is our biggest uh, uh like outreach so mm-hmm. by looking at at kill the shark net on facebook and on instagram and we do have a website uh just get the <laughs> and for the listeners we will share these resources of course we'll share the links on the out of the blue facebook page as well <clears throat> so that you can get in contact with holly if you want to get involved uh, if you want to know more and uh, maybe even make a donation is that a possibility as well 
Absolutely, yeah. We are always looking for funding as we are, we are monitoring and recording and uh, videoing these animals that are being caught. Uh, we also are making a documentary. It is in the making. So uh, all donations are greatly appreciated because we, you know, paying for jet ski fuel and things like that. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> it takes a lot of time to get all of this material to be able to show people that this is what happens almost every day. So, yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much for joining us, Holly. And uh, oh, thank you. And uh, good luck with everything. And uh, yeah, call in, call in in a few months' time, and and see and see where we are. No worries. Thank All right, you. thanks. And everybody, we are now going to a song. Enjoy. We will be back in a few minutes. And that was Moana singing "How Far I'll Go." Uh, and it, this one is sung by Aulii Cravalho. I hope I pronounced that right because it is Hawaiian. Just such a beautiful song. Um, so we're now going to the next segment. Donna, what are we listening to next? So um, a, a couple of weeks ago, I had the absolute privilege of um, running a workshop session with uh, Felipe Costo from Earth, Earth Echo International. Um, so he came out with an enormous bunch of crew and <laughs> got together a whole big bunch of teachers um, who are here for an Earth Echo expedition, which is um, a week-long PD professional development um, session with um, a whole heap of professionals in the um, coastal marine plastic pollution sector um, and they run a whole series of workshops all week and I had the privilege of um, running one of those workshops with the teachers and the theme this year was plastic seas so Every year, Earth Echo run an expedition and there's a different environmental uh, theme looking at a wicked problem and this year it was Plastic Seas and they came to Melbourne for this expedition. It's the first time they've been outside of the USA to run one of these so we're very privileged um, here in Melbourne to be chosen and to take part um, and in between my workshop sessions, I was lucky enough to grab Philippe Costeau to do a really quick five-minute interview and a big shout out to all the fabulous teachers who were there who let me steal five, ten minutes of their time to record this interview. So we're going to play it for you now. You are tuned to 855 AM 3CR Community Radio or you're listening online at www.3cr.org.au. My first question is if you could just tell us a little bit about Earth Echo Foundation um, and the expeditions as well. Well, Earth Echo International is an organization that I founded about 15 years ago uh, in honor of my father, Philippe Cousteau Sr., who was the youngest son of the explorer Jacques Cousteau. And the organization was very much inspired by their passion and dedication to education and a recognition that you know, all great social movements in history are really driven by young people and that as we seek to build a more sustainable, uh, healthy, just planet, that uh, if we don't have a youth strategy in order to do that, then we don't have a strategy at all. And we are really building that youth strategy for the environmental movement, have programs around the world, including Earth Echo Expeditions, which we are filming this week in Melbourne, uh, exploring plastic pollution uh, issues here in Port Phillip Bay as a uh, example of the challenges that communities are facing around the world. We've got 25 incredible teachers from Australia with us, and um, those teachers are, uh, are working with us to create a whole series of educational programs and products uh, for, uh, I guess you would call them, what, what, secondary students? Secondary students? Primary and secondary age students, what we would call middle and, uh, and high school in the States, um, 
uh, all around plastic pollution and what they can do to engage in their local communities to solve that problem. Cool. And why Melbourne? Why did you choose Melbourne? Well, I personally have a have a great love for Australia. I've spent quite a bit of time um, throughout Australia filming various different docos and uh, uh, I've never been to Melbourne before. But, um, you know, Port Phillip Bay and the interesting dynamics that are happening here is a really great example of a large metropolitan area and uh, a very unique dynamic uh, and, and incredibly diverse, biodiverse ecosystem that we felt was a, a terrific opportunity to begin to expand our work internationally to tell the story here uh, in Melbourne and, and work with such an incredible coterie of teachers from around the country. Amazing. And what do you see for the future as far as plastic pollution goes? Well, the good news is that we are making incredible progress with respect to I think, the understanding and awareness that this is a, a tremendous crisis. We're starting to see some communities uh, take real meaningful action. Uh, for example, I understand that uh, the, the state of Victoria is going to be banning plastic bags the, the, in 2019, maybe early 2020. And, um, and, and these are, 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 are very important steps. So that's hopeful. Uh, but we still have a long way to go because we are projected to continue to produce more and more and more plastic every year uh, for the foreseeable future. And so how we deal with that is, uh, is going to be a, a very important question because, um, you know, plastic pollution isn't just unsightly. It's, of course, affecting our health because it's uh, breaking down into smaller and smaller pieces being ingested by the seafood that we then eat and thus you know, being ingested by us. It carries toxins. It costs a lot of money to municipalities to clean up, clogging sewage and waste management and water treatment systems. Um, and, of course, uh, it is something that is uh, killing wildlife uh, uh, directly, plastic bags. We've all seen those you know, images of, of animals suffering from uh, um, bottle containers, plastic bags, straws, etc. So uh, it's, a, it's a huge crisis. Um, and, uh, and, but, but fortunately, I think it's one that people are, are beginning to, uh, to understand is, uh, is something we need to do something about. Cool. And my last question, what inspires you? You know, I have the opportunity, so I host lots of different documentaries. We, we produce films, and, and uh, um, we do radio as well. We write books. We do lots of different programs, all with respect to sustainability. The greatest work that I get to do is the work through Earth Echo. Uh, what inspires me is going into a classroom and seeing uh, a bunch of kids that are passionate, optimistic, and fired up about acting and, and changing the world. Um, and, and when I see that optimism, when I see that passion, it, uh, it gives me the, the drive and, and the courage to keep going. And, and, uh, and also to see the, the passion of the teachers that dedicate their lives oftentimes, um, uh, you know, endlessly. And, uh, I mean, my grandfather always said teaching is the most noble profession. And he was right on that point. So getting to work with amazing teachers and, and young people every day is, uh, is what inspires me. Amazing. Thank you so much. Sure. Wow. Cheers. And that was Donna recording Philippe Cousteau. Beautiful interview. Um, he was here last week um, with the teachers teaching about all things plastic and plastic in the ocean with his Earth Echo Institute. And if you want any more information about Earth Echo Expeditions, um, we'll put up a link to their website on our uh, Out of the Blue Facebook page, or you can find them uh, Earth Echo International on Instagram as well for all the pictures of the week and all the other expeditions as well. Um, I'm Donna, that's Farm, and you've been listening to Out of the Blue on 855 AM 3CR. 
We'll be back next week with another show. And up next is Sally with Out of the Pan. Have a great Sunday, everyone.